a pleasure to be with you folks today and already had a great, great time in the uh, 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 Sunday school class and everything else. Now, in regards to C.R. Kirsten, never met the man in my life. I don't know him, but I don't know who he is. No, just no. In fact, I spent the night with uh, C.R. and Paul at their home last night and I've uh, known them for many, many years. Love the, the Kirstens and love, of course, uh, St. Louis Teen Challenge and for... Uh, 31 years, I was at the uh, training men's training center down in Cape Girardeau where they send guys once they come from St. Louis. And so we have a very close working relationship and everything else. And just love what, uh, you know, just, just love CR and Paula to death. They're just some of the greatest people that uh, are in the kingdom as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and love the ministry of Teen Challenge. And, uh, but the Lord has kind of given us a new way, a new uh, approach to dealing with the substance abuse problem, and we'll be talking about that quite a bit. Now, let me, uh, Pastor already has generously uh, uh, stated that, that uh, you know, we have, we are U.S. missionary candidates, and I'm so thankful to the church, Pastor Dan, for you guys supporting us. It, it, mean, it means so much to us. It's a great, great help in furthering our ministry. Uh, I will say, and, and you know, how many of you wish that on TV that they would, you know, put the commercials all at the front and then you'd just have the whole show after that and you had to work? Okay, well, I'm going to do that this morning. I'm going to put the commercial right at the front, and that is this. Number one, uh, you know, what, what can you do to help us? Well, first of all, you can pray. If you uh, look out on my table there, I've got a number of business cards like this and encourage every one of you to take one of these and then pray for us on a regular basis. Uh, we know that nothing of substance takes place in this world good w without prayer. And so as a result, please take that, put it where you will see it the most often. Uh, for most of us, that's our refrigerator. Uh, but, you know, when you see it, then pray for us. Uh, the second thing is, is that if you would like to keep up with our ministry and what's going on on the table out there, there's a clipboard and it's a sign-up sheet. So that way we can uh, communicate with you through our newsletters uh, we set our goal to do about four of those a year, four or five, and everything. It'll just keep you updated on what's been going on. Our current newsletter's got a great testimony uh, of a church uh, where the, the church started uh, Living Free Ministry, and God's doing some wonderful things through that. It's kind of interesting. Of course, we, we're focused, as Pastor uh, Dan said, you know, I think on rural areas and everything else. So, you know, I, I have now I have an argument, Pastor Dan, for anybody that says their church is too small to do living free. Because this church where I have the testimony, when they started living free, the church consisted of the pastor, his wife, and two elderly ladies. And they're starting, they're actually now in their second uh, segment of living free groups. And God's done some great things through that. So there's no church too small that can't have living free ministry going on. And then as Pastor said, anything you can do to support us financially will be greatly appreciated and blessed. Uh, we are uh, coming up on our first fundraising deadline in November and everything. But we're trusting the Lord and, uh, to, to minister to us and to help us through God's people uh, to meet that deadline. So uh, I want to uh, share with you this morning about the ministry that God has called us to. Now, as I mentioned before, typically our focus is on rural America. And the reason that it is on rural America is because it is a very underserved area of our country. It is very underserved in a whole lot of different aspects, but certainly it is underserved in regard to um, uh, helping people with substance abuse issues. So we're going to get into that in a minute, but I just want to 
say that, you know, my, my general approach is I'm talking a lot about rural America. But as Pastor Dan said, and I was so uh, enjoyed, uh, Pastor Dan and, and Mike came to a training that we had in, on the end of July and everything, and they, they were very positive and, of course, invited us to come and be with you folks today and, and then also said, yeah, we want to do this. And so I want to encourage you that to, to be thinking about this and praying about this and what role that God would have you to play uh, in this as the church is going to start this because it is a very, very important ministry. <clears throat> but now I want to go back and I want to kind of talk a little bit, starting I give you a little bit of autobiography about myself, okay? Uh, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. Uh, my parents, uh, we were always in church. We were there on Sunday morning. We were there on Sunday night. We were there on Wednesday night. And pastor, sometimes I was in some women's ministries meetings. And, and uh, one I remember very well because uh, during that meeting, I was maybe five or six years old or something like that. And the reason I remember it is because I swallowed a nickel. And uh, so those ladies really began to pray. And then they also had me by my feet, you know, trying to get that nickel to come back out. Well, you know, that didn't work that way, but eventually, of course, this too shall pass. But, but anyway, you know, I, I, I mean, I have all kinds of experience in church. And when I was eight years old, uh, I gave my heart to the Lord. I was at a thing that used to be called a CA rally. Now we call it a youth rally. And uh, they had a low-budget precursor to Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that before, know about that, but it's a, a, a play in which people die for various reasons, and then they come to the, the, the pearly gates, if you will, they, the angel, and the angel would say they go to heaven or hell. And like there was this businessman, and he had this briefcase full of money, and the angel said, no, 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 you're going to hell. And then there was this little uh, 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 cleaning lady, and she had her mop bucket and her mop and everything, you know, she went down the aisle, and... And the angel said to her, yes, yes, you know, you're going to heaven. And, and she, uh, she just had a little hallelujah breakdown right there. And I mean, and it wasn't acting either. I mean, she started thinking about going to heaven. She got all excited. So <clears throat> I went down to the altar that evening and I, and I accepted the Lord. I gave my heart to the Lord and it really, Pastor Dan, just, you may not know this about me, but I'm, I'm a renowned theologian. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, I have to tell everybody that so they'll know. Uh, but, but anyway, so this started when I was eight years old because when I went down to, to give my heart to the Lord that, that, that evening, I prayed this deep theological prayer. God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't remember praying anything else, but at that point, I gave my heart and life to the Lord. So anyway, and I, 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 you know, I, but I had a time there when I was in junior high and high school. And I got away from the Lord. I, I never did a lot of things like drugs or alcohol or anything like that because of two reasons. Number one, I believe what I heard at church, that, that there was no future in that kind of life or lifestyle, and it would not be good for me, and I believe that. And the second reason was, though, is that I knew that if I did something like that, and my dad ever found out about it, that I would learn about the reality of eternity much sooner than I anticipated <laughs> And so for those two reasons, and I can't say which was the most important, but they worked together to keep me from ever doing anything like that. But, you know, again, I wasn't where I needed to be with the Lord. I got to college when I was a freshman, and uh, the church there had a back-to-school revival. And when I went to that back-to-school revival, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that transformed my spiritual life. And from that day to this, I've been trying, however imperfectly, to live for the Lord and serve Him with, with my whole heart and my whole life. 
So that was what turned me around. Now, while I was there, uh, the, the second semester I was there, I went to a thing that used to be called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship Meeting. And when they would do those things, they would have a meal like in a, in a hotel banquet room, and then they would, somebody would speak, and then you have prayer time and so on. Well, as a college student, I was, I was uh, contractually required to go to any meeting where food was served. So I was there at this full gospel business fellowship meeting and, and everything, and then we, had the, we ate, and then we had somebody speak, and then they had prayer at the front. Well, neither I nor the lady who was sitting next to me went forward. Now, I remember her name very well. Her name was Gussie Turner, and the reason I remember her name so well is that about five or six years later, her daughter, Debbie Turner, became Miss Missouri and then eventually became Miss America. So, you know, that has always stuck in my mind. But after the, after the prayer time was over, we were just sitting in our seats praying there. And Sister Turner said to me, she said, I believe that God has called you, or I believe that God has, a, God spoke to me and said that He has a ministry for you with young men. And so I kind of talked with her about where I was at at the time and everything else. And walked away, thanked her, you know, and, and everything. And then probably within a couple of months, totally forgot about it. Went on, uh, 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 finished my degree, married my wife, worked for a year while she got uh, her degree, went on to graduate school and uh, finished graduate school. Then God led me to the Ministry of Teen Challenge down in Cape Girardeau. I had been on staff there for two or three years. And one morning I was teaching a lecture class and I was talking about personal prophecy and talking about my view on that and so on and so forth with the guys. And while I was talking, the Lord reminded me of this thing that Sister Turner had told me seven years earlier. And yet, in spite of the background that I have with no drug, no alcohol, none of that kind of stuff, that's what I've been doing for the last 35 years. Now, let's put that on hold. All right, we're going to come back to that later, but let's put that on hold. And now I want to talk to you about the need. The name of our ministry is called Rural Freedom. And we call it Rural Freedom because, again, the focus is on rural America and the need for us to be able to bring freedom to people who are struggling with substance abuse issues in rural America. Again, you see it there, empowering rural America in the fight against substance abuse. Now, when I talk about the need, sometimes I'm tempted to skip that and I'm tempted to just go on you know, because everybody knows the need. But you know what I find is, is that while we may know the need, we really don't grasp it fully. First of all, in the United States, there are 15 million problem drinkers and 7 million drug addicts. That's almost 7% of the population. And together, they uh, account for this group of people, accounts for about 70% of the people who are in jail and prison today. Now, if you're like me, I don't remember statistics, so let me give you a word picture. If you took all the people in the United States who have a major substance abuse issue, these 22 million, and that's a very conservative uh, estimate, you take all of these people and you put them all in their own state, it would be the third largest state in the country behind California and Texas. In other words, there are more people who have major substance abuse issues in their life in the United States than there are in 48 out of the 50 states. So we're talking about a major problem. We're talking about a major issue. And to add on to that, studies show us that for every person who has a major substance abuse problem, they have a negative impact, significant negative impact on anywhere from five to seven people in their life. 
So if you start multiplying that out, there are between 132 million and 176 million people in the United States who are being touched by substance abuse issues. And that is a scary, scary thought. Secondly, today in the United States, this is October 23rd. Wow, it's October 23rd already. October 23rd, over 7,800 people in the United States will use an illicit drug for the first time, the vast majority of them young people and teenagers. 7,800. I drive through the state of Missouri and other places as well, but primarily the state of Missouri, and I'll tell you what, the vast majority of the towns I drive through don't even have 7,800 people in them. And yet we're talking about every single day, every single day, every single day, that many people are get involved in illicit drugs. In 2013, there were 929,300 people who understood that they had a major substance abuse problem and wanted to get help for it, but were not able to find help. We're talking now upwards of a million. I'm not talking about people in denial. I'm not talking about people that are deluded. I'm talking about people who say, yes, I've got a problem. I need to do something about it. And they were not able to find help. In fact, statistics tell us that 89% of people with substance abuse issues will never enter into a residential program. 89%. So these numbers reflect the entire population of the United States. So, you know, Jack, why are you so focused on rural America? I mean, things, you know, they, I mean, you know, we're, it's Mayberry. I mean, you know, there, there's no, there, you can't have problems like this in rural America and everything else. Well, I wish that were the case, but unfortunately it's not true. In rural America, a rural American is more than twice as likely to overdose on prescription drugs as folks in big cities. This this prescription drug epidemic that we see that is going on in our country has really hit rural America extremely hard. And unfortunately, what's taking place now, what I'm hearing from people uh, in rural America is that because prescription drugs are so hard to get and because they're so expensive, now heroin is coming in and starting to replace prescription drugs as the drug of choice for many folks in this area. A sixth grader in rural America is more than twice as likely to try meth as their urban counterpart. And then finally, this one really surprised me, 55% of people who died in accidents with alcohol-impaired drivers were in rural America. 55% were in rural America. There's a quote from the Rural Assistance Center here uh, from back in 2013. Says today, adults and young teens in rural areas are just as likely to abuse substances as those in larger metropolitan areas. The problems may be the same, but smaller communities have limited resources to deal with the consequences of substance abuse. Now, I, I will tell you this: I am I am burdened for our entire country. I am burdened for this whole nation and what we face in the area of substance abuse. But the Lord has specifically laid on my heart this whole area of rural ministry. Because again, a lot of times these are very much underserved. You see, we have to admit it that rural America is not Mayberry anymore. And our substance abuse problem is not Otis letting himself into the jail to sleep it off overnight or a few good old boys up in the holler making moonshine. We're talking about a major, major crisis. And I could give you an illustration right now, but we just don't have time uh, for me to do that. Uh, there are, the thing about it, unfortunately, substance abuse doesn't just affect 
that area or what that person is doing, and it's affecting rural America in a lot of areas. Number one is abject poverty. Though there is a lot of reasons for the tremendous poverty that we have in rural America, much of it is connected, I believe, to substance abuse. Parents spend their time focusing on their drinking and on their drugs and spending their money on that, and they leave their kids without the basic necessities of life. Secondly, it, it contributes to the breakup of the family. You see, when substance abuse come in, comes in, morality goes out. They, the people who begin to use substances, they lose what, whatever moral convictions they may have had before, they begin to lose them, so they start doing things that, that are, are, are totally immoral, and, and they really don't care. They really don't think about it. I had a good friend of mine, that, a colleague that I worked with there at Cape, and he always... Even though he worked for us, he always pastored a small church. And in this small church, rural church, he, he talked about they were reaching out to the kids. And they were you know, doing special things to get kids there. And they were having some success. And, but he, he told me a number of stories. But the one I remember the most is about a single mom who came into the church. And this is not to put down single moms, but this is to show the breakup of the family. But this single mom came into church and she had four kids. And those four kids were fathered by three different men none of whom were in the home. And so you have this whole breakdown of morality that is uh, causing a decline in rural America. And then finally, violence of all types is rated, related to substance abuse, particularly domestic violence and child abuse. I, would, you know, I don't have statistics for this. I can't prove this. But I would dare say that easily 75% of domestic violence and probably that much of child abuse takes place as a result, directly or indirectly, of substance abuse. So you say, well, boy, I'm glad I came to church today. I'm really depressed now. You know, uh, if I want to be depressed, I could have stayed home and watched the news. You know, but, <clears throat> well, I, I tell you all of that to tell you this, because like I heard a minister say one time, if you don't understand the bad news, you can't really understand the good news. In other words, if hell isn't a reality, then heaven is not, is, is not that great. So the more we understand the bad news, the better we can understand the good news. So what are we doing to do this? Well, God has called us to help provide a solution that we call rural freedom, to reach out to pastors and churches and communities and to help them learn to make a difference in the drug and alcohol problem where they live. Now, let me stop for just a moment and let you know that this is in not any way, shape, or form in opposition to Teen Challenge. I believe that everybody that is in Teen Challenge needs to be there and I believe that Teen Challenge plays a great, great role. But the problem is, there are over 4,100 counties in the United States, and every single one of them have their own substance abuse issue that they're having to deal with, and yet we have 250 Teen Challenge Centers. And even if a Teen Challenge Center could deal with every single problem that they have in their county or their area, it still wouldn't be even start the problem. So my thing is this. If you've got somebody who's been through, who's in Teen Challenge, and they need to be there, and I believe that, but what if, what if somebody reaches them five years before, locally, before they have to come to Teen Challenge? Can they minister to that person and help that person? My premise is that yes, you can. And our experience is, is that yes, you can. There will always be people who will need the resident, long-term residential ministry like Teen Challenge, as great a ministry as it is. But you know what? We need to work together. We need to mobilize the church of Jesus Christ to really begin to reach out about this. So now let's go back to my initial 
<coughs> comments when I was talking about my background. And uh, I shared that with you, not because I'm an egomaniac, and not because that I'm the most important person in the world. Uh, not even my wife thinks that. So, you know, so anyway, so I, I don't share that with you for those reasons. I share that with you because I want you to understand that in order to be able to reach out to somebody who has a substance abuse uh, problem, you do not have to be some expert. You see, a lot of times the devil will talk us in to never stepping up to the plate and even trying to get in the game because he wants to tell us we can't do anything. Because, well, I'm not, you know, I don't have a, I'm not a licensed substance abuse counselor. I'm not, a, I'm not an ordained minister. I'm not this. I'm not that. And I'm here today to tell you that just because you don't have that or because you don't have a background in substance abuse doesn't mean that God can't and won't use you. In fact, I've got a threefold test to find out if you are qualified to help people with substance abuse issues. Are you ready? Okay, I, I know, pop quiz. I know nobody warned you, but you're ready. All right, first of all, do you love God? Okay, all right, that is a good yes. All right, I was hoping for hands, but a yes is good. You know, I was in a, uh, I was in a um, <clears throat> sectional council uh, not long ago. Pastor Dan may remember. I think you were there, weren't you, St. Louis? And I said that. And I said, you know, do you love God? And one brother raised his hand. I thought we should have had an altar call right there. You know, all these ministers and nobody raised their hand. But anyway, all right, so good. All right, we start out good. Secondly, do you care about people? Yes, okay, okay. Some are even raising their hands now. I'm, education is working here. Education is working. All right, then thirdly, and here's the deal. This is the tough one. Can you accept and receive training? Yes, yes, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not talking about, you know, rocket science. I'm just saying basic training. If you love God, if you care about people, and you can accept and receive training, then guess what? God can use you to minister to people who have substance abuse issues. You say, well, how are, you, you know, how are we going to do that? What are we going to do? God has given a, a great ministry called Living Free, it is a great tool that's been around for over 25 years. They've had over 800,000 people go through their small groups. They're in 84 countries. Their curriculum has been translated in 27 languages. It is a proven ministry. And it is a ministry that works specifically for the needs of people who are coming out of substance abuse and other life-controlling problems. News bulletin, drugs and alcohol aren't the only major problems that people deal with in their life. We don't have time to get into that, but, the, but, but there is more than that. And so this living free ministry is something that is designed to be under the leadership of the local pastor, but designed to be run by lay people. And having lay people who are part of that ministry and do that ministry and reach out because we believe that through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God that lives can be changed. And so this uh, biblically-based, Christ-centered curriculum helps people to be able to deal with that. Now the second thing we do is we're using the same tool, but expanding a little bit is what we call living free community. And this is particularly appropriate in... Um, uh, rural areas, although it could certainly work in an urban area as well. And that is where you come in and you do living free training for a group of churches. On Thursday, I had the opportunity to meet with, a, with three pastors in Rich Hill, Missouri. And there was a fourth one that was interested but wasn't able to make it. 
but Rich Hill, Missouri, a little dinky town, I mean dinky, dinky town, and they're talking about possibly joining together and starting Living Free Community. Well, that does a couple of things. It takes out the sectarian approach, which can be very strong in rural America sometimes, because then it's not an Assembly of God ministry or a Baptist ministry or a Methodist ministry. It's our ministry. And then the other thing is it gives you a deeper pool of volunteers to draw from so that you have more flexibility in what you can do. And we're very excited about that, uh, about living free community starting in rural areas. Also, we have a thing I call Substance Abuse 101, training for pastors. Pastors, a lot of times, particularly in rural areas, but everywhere, are called on to reach out and minister to people who have substance abuse, even though it may not be somebody in their community, but it may be, I mean, in their church, I mean, but somebody in their community they're asked to minister to. And so this gives them some basic tools and understanding about how to reach out to others. And then we provide resource counseling. Once we've done, once we've done the counseling and the, uh, uh, I mean, the training in an area, and once we've done, uh, for either for the pastors or a church, then we are always available by phone or email to help with those areas. Uh, you know, it's not that we claim that we know everything, but, but we do have some understanding after years and years of serving in this area, and we're happy to help out in any way we can. And then finally, residential placement. If you're working with somebody on the local level and they're just not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, then hey, okay, we'll be happy to work with that church and to help place that person in a long-term program such as Teen Challenge or other faith-based groups. Well, you know, some people will ask the question, why is this? Why even try to help? I mean, these folks a lot of times don't want help anyway, and, and you know, and you, you can do your best and everything else. But the reason we need to help folks, first of all, is because these people are our neighbors, they're our friends, they're our sons, they're our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our aunts, our uncles, and sometimes even our grandparents. And they need our help. But most importantly, God has given us a mandate to help those who are in need. In Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 in the message, it's put this way. Then he, Jesus, turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the track. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. That's our calling. And that's plenty enough reason to help them, I believe. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. I like to shoot straight with people. You know, this work is not easy work. It is messy work sometimes and time-consuming and difficult work at times when you're trying to help these people. You know, why do we want to go all to this extra effort to do all of this and everything else? Well, the truth of the matter is, is because God loves these people. He loves them every much as He loves you and as He loves me and as He loves Pastor Dan and as He loves your godly grandma. God loves them every much as, 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 every bit as much as He does any of us. Look what it says in Luke 6.35 when Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. And I, I didn't discover this till about seven, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. But there's a profound statement in here. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. And notice this, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
Now let that register with you for a moment. He is kind to whom? People that show up in church, people that try to help other people. No, he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. And I want to tell you, these folks who have these substance abuse issues because of the decisions they've made and allowing the enemy to get in their life, they can do some bad and horrible things and they have done bad and horrible things. But you know what? They're just like you and me. They need the love of God. They need the grace of God to come into their life and to minister to them and help pull them out of that. You say, well, you know, that's all well and good, but I believe that only Christ can change a life. I believe that only Jesus Christ can turn someone around and take them out of their bondage. Well, you know, I agree with that, but we need to understand how this all works. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, in whatever form, paper or electronic. John chapter 11. Isn't it true that only God can change a life? And to that I will say yes. Well, this is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. You remember the story that Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha lived and and they were close to Jesus and they sent word to Jesus that, that, that Lazarus was sick. Jesus took his time, eventually got there, and when he got there, Lazarus was already dead. And Mary and Martha were kind of upset at Jesus because they thought, you know, they said, we know, Lord, that you could have healed him. And anyway, talks to him. Well, let's go to verse 38. We'll, we'll short-circuit the story. And so here we have verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the, to the, to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. You see here... First of all, Lazarus is dead. And you know, you may not understand this, but we all have a lot in common with Lazarus. Because every one of us, before we met Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were dead too. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And you see, the greatest problem with people who have substance abuse issues is not the drugs that they're doing or the drink that they're drinking or any of those other things. It's the fact that they're spiritually dead. And because they're spiritually dead, they need somebody to bring them to life. And then verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord... By this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus told them to roll away the stone, and Martha said, Lord, by this time he stinks. I don't normally use the King James, but here's one where I like it. It's Martha said, Lord, he stinketh. And sometimes people that we're going to work with that have substance abuse issues, they stinketh. Figuratively and sometimes literally. Because that's just how far the devil has taken them down in their life. But again, you expect this out of dead people. Yes, working with these folks can be messy and time-consuming. Why? Because they're dead and their trespasses and sin. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus wanted Martha to understand that He had resurrection power, that He had the ability to change the situation, that He had the ability to do something different and to change this circumstance. Verses 41 through 43. So he took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
And Jesus, after He prayed, He called Lazarus out. And yes, we need to remember that it is not our power, it is not our authority or our ability to raise people from their spiritual death. It is only the power of Christ that can do that. He is our Savior and our Lord, and He can raise people from the dead, and we cannot do it. You say, well, you just made my point. Why? Why? If God's the one to do it, why don't we just continue to have church and hope that people come in and they get saved and they give their heart and life to the Lord? Well, it is more than that because we have a role to play. There is something we need to do. Look with me at verse 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see, yes, Lazarus had been raised from the dead and he came out, but his hands and his feet were still bound by grave clothes. And Jesus told those who were with him, you unbind him and let him go. And that is what our role is to be. That is what the role of living free is all about. That once Jesus resurrects people from the dead, God uses us to take off the grave clothes to take off the grave clothes of alcohol and of drugs and of immorality and crime and anger and lust and envy and depression and grief and bitterness and unforgiveness and every other kind of binding cloth that you can think of. It is our role to take that off so that that person whom Christ has raised from the dead can walk in freedom in life and in our society. That's the role that God has called us to, to take. Now, you know what? You can think of our worship, and I really enjoyed our worship time here before, and you can liken that to going into the temple with Jesus. And we go into the temple with Jesus, and we worship God, and we should worship God. And that's part of our calling as the people of God. And while I believe that is very important, I think it's time for us not to be so focused on going into the temple with Jesus, but for us to start going into the tombs with Jesus, where He is raising people from the dead, and for us to be able to play the role that we can play of helping to set those people free in their heart and their life. You see, Jesus will set them, Jesus will raise them from the dead, but it is up to us to start taking off the grave clothes. And I've been in this thing for 34 years, and I'm going to tell you, 35 years, and I can tell you, people need those grave clothes taken off. Now, as we conclude this morning, I'm going to ask you today, if you have somebody in your life who is struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, some kind of life-controlling problem such as this, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come forward, and I want to pray with you. I want to believe God to minister to them and to touch them. You say, I've been praying for years. That's great. Continue to pray. But I want us this morning, I want us to take it up another notch. I want us to step up our faith. I believe that God can help us to start something in the heavenlies today that will begin to work in their life and begin to help them get freedom in Christ. I believe that God can help us today to start the beginning of the end of their addiction. I believe that God can help us today to be by joining together in prayer and believing Him together can help us to see people start, begin to be set free. Now this is different than the living free thing I'm talking about. This is something we're talking about today. I want to encourage you, if you're, you've got somebody in your life that's struggling with an addiction, I want to encourage you to come forward and let us pray together and let's believe God together and see God do some things to start turning their life around. So if you're here today, right now, I want you to come and I want you to come forward. I want to pray with you. 
I don't need a long recitation about this, the history. I want you to give me their name, and I want you to tell me what their issue or problem is. And I will warn you two things. Number one, I am going to pray out loud, and I'm going to pray very loud. Okay, that's just the way it is. I'm going to pray out loud, and I'm going to pray very loud, and I'm going to pray their name, and I'm going to believe God to touch their heart and their life, and I'm also going to pray, many times I will pray this prayer, God, whatever it takes. God, whatever it takes. Because I've been around long enough to know that as long as things are going okay in that person's life, then guess what? They're going to keep doing what they're doing. They need something to bring them to the end of themselves so they will turn their heart to God. So if you're ready, if you want help for your loved one and you're ready to pray the whatever it takes prayer, I want to invite you to come right now and stand in the front. And I, Pastor Dan and I are going to pray with you. We're going to believe God with you. And we're going to ask God to work and do a marvelous, miraculous work in the life of that loved one. <clears throat> All right, if you folks wouldn't mind, just go ahead and stand and come up here. I may be a little different from what y'all are used to doing. All right, anyone else? Anyone else? I believe and I know that God can set people free. I, you know, one thing about Teen Challenge, Pastor, it ruined me. There is nobody, nobody and no situation that you can tell me to say, that, oh, well, there's no way this can happen because I've seen too many miracles. I've seen too many times where God rescued people out of total darkness and brought them into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to begin to pray. Now, if you're sitting here, you are a participant. You are not a spectator. You need to join with us. Some cases you may know the circumstance that these people are going through. We need to pray together as a body, and we need to join together and ask God to minister to these folks and ask God to touch their lives. Uh, you can be seated or you can stand, whatever you want to do. That doesn't matter to me. I just want us to join together and believe God. So let's begin. Sister? Sister?